we are back and it's Jordan and Alana and we have today with us our very own Dave Williams. Dave has been around Parkland Chapel what since the beginning or Pretty very close, very yeah. close. Yep. Yep, and he's on leadership and he's married to his lovely wife Marcella Williams, but she likes to be called Marcy. <laughs> and uh, he has two daughters both in college now yep. and um, yeah, so that's a little intro on Dave and we'll let him take over. I do want to throw this question to you, Dave. All right. If somebody's to walk up to you now mm-hmm. and they say, who is Dave Williams? How would you describe Dave Williams? I guess I'm a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I've got a lot of uh, roles, uh, but the most important aspect about me is I'm a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm the adopted son of Almighty Creator God, King of the Universe. So you know, I got that going for me. Was that has that always <laughs> been an identity of Dave Williams? No, um, I've I've been um, in a religious setting most of my life. Early on, my my parents didn't really go to church, but I started going to church with my grandpa as a, a young boy. I was about seven or eight, and I started going to the Baptist church over in Flat River. Missouri, and, and uh, I loved my grandpa, and my grandpa loved Jesus, so I liked being at church. I went forward on an altar call when I was like eight, and I got baptized, and, and maybe that's kind of when I uh, became a Christian. I don't know. I, I had a, a, um, a pretty special moment at a church camp as a, as a, a teenager that, you know, maybe that's whenever... Um, you know, I gave my life to Christ, but, you know, it didn't really change the way I acted. It didn't really show up in my walk until much, much later. So maybe I was a child of God at that time, maybe not, but uh, no, I wouldn't definitely not say that's how I would have introduced myself, uh, maybe even, you know, 15, 12, 15 years ago. Even as I started my walk, my, my sincere, earnest walk with Christ, I still didn't understand who I was in comparison or in, in relation to Christ. So you kind of had the title of being a Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I definitely would have um, associated myself as a Christian. I can remember, you know, different, even dark moments in my life when I would talk to people about Jesus and, and, and have no credibility, no witness at all. But uh, I always felt um, that I knew that was the right thing. It mm-hmm. just uh, didn't, didn't show up in my life. So how did that background of growing up through, you know, your grandpa and stuff help you mm-hmm. to be where you're at today? Well, I, I think um, just having a head knowledge of, of, you know, what's right and wrong, where, do, where does, you know, what's the truth behind morality, where does that come from? Having a, a belief that there is, uh, that the God of the Bible was truly the Lord, um, and then, you know, knowing that submitting to the Lord was desirable, or at least it should be something that was desirable, having that head knowledge was, you know, really important. And I'm so grateful that my grandpa took me to church and that uh, I was surrounded by people who, who knew the Lord and encouraged me to have a relationship with the Lord. Uh, but it, until, until someone really decides to submit to that, it doesn't, doesn't take hold of your life, you know, and so having that head knowledge is vital, super important, but you really have to have that heart change, and only the wooing of the Holy Spirit and, and uh, the submitting of your life um, can make that happen, you know. 
So what made that change for you or what yeah. practically or, you know, spiritually was mm-hmm. that this is going to change me? Well, for me, it wasn't until I was in my early 30s. And, you know, a lot of people really love our church. And one of the things, the real hallmark of our church is the expositional Bible teaching, um, going, you know, verse by verse through the Bible. That really changed a lot of people's lives, including Mike Harrison, our pastor. That was the thing that really did it for him. But for me, it was discipleship, having someone be very intentional about walking me through what the Word had to say, how it was applicable to my life, helping me understand what it meant in the actual setting and context that it was written, and then um, um, just you know, life-on-life life, uh, discipleship. That was the turning point for me. So back in the beginning of 2006, that really uh, uh, changed. I would say sometime around summer of 06, it was uh, at that point that I was just all in for Christ. And so prior to that, it was head knowledge. Prior to that, it was uh, uh, more theoretical. But at that point, it was a heart change. And the, and the real uh, tool that the Lord used was uh, someone to disciple me personally. Did you know Mike Harrison before? Yeah. Coming to Parkland and I stuff? I did. I met Mike in like 1998, I guess, uh, right after I got out of the service. We used to play basketball a couple couple nights a week, and, and it was right before Mike had moved to California to go to Bible college. He had he was good friends with Todd McKinney, who I grew up with, and uh, uh, he liked to play basketball. So we all got together and played basketball. And so he was a nice guy, uh, but, but mostly we were just uh, trying to beat each other up on the basketball court. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know him well, but Todd stayed in touch with him while he was in California. So Todd brought him up uh, in conversation quite a bit, and you know they went out to visit him in California, and I used to live there while I was in the service. And so I was telling Todd all the cool bars he needed to check out, and, <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, I don't think Mike's going to take me to the bars. He's in, <laughs> he's in uh, seminary. But, uh, uh, but anyway, I, I, uh, I, Mike's name came up a lot in conversations with Todd while he was in California. So I knew him, I knew him before he moved back. So it was like an eight-year period of knowing Mike before Parkland started. Yeah. So how long have you been around with Parkland Chapel? Lana said you've been around for a while, but yeah. I mean, were, were you at the the basement into the into the factory and, and where we are obviously where yeah. we are now? But so no, I, I wasn't in the basement. So Todd uh, and Mike stayed in touch, and when Mike was moving back, he said, "Todd, I'm going to start a church, and and uh, I need you to come on board with me." You know. And so what what was like? Wait, he's reaching out to Todd to do yeah, this? Yeah. What, what so, was that like for you to hear that? I don't know that I was plugged into that conversation at the time. Um, I think Todd was pretty skeptical. Like, he, Todd, I hate I hate to say nice things about Todd on a podcast. because he. <laughs> we can he, edit it out. You can, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Would, you, would you mind? If we wrote it down, he would never find out because you, you can't right. even force that guy to read anything. But he yeah. might actually listen to a podcast. So, But no, Todd is uh, an extremely loyal person. And, and when you're Todd's friend, he's got you, right? And so Mike says, hey, I'm coming back to start a church. And Todd, I think he was a little skeptical about what that could look like. Uh, but Todd said, hey, if you're coming, I'll, I'll support you. And, and I think mostly Todd wanted to make sure that someone showed up to the first, first church service in his basement. And so he did, but he wasn't spreading it around yet. He was supporting Mike, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a, a cheerleader at that point. But he fell in love with it pretty quickly. And they started, um, you know, they grew from 10 or 12 people to 20-some-odd people, and they no longer fit in uh, Mike's basement. And he knew that to go to Sunday mornings and actually call it a church, they were going to have to get their own facility. And so they rented that 
that loading dock, which is now, I think Mario's Pizza might still be in there. I'm not sure. But uh, over at the factory, they started kind of cleaning that up. And Todd uh, had a, a birthday party for his youngest daughter, Anna. She was turning one. We came and Mike was there and, and uh, he was excited about the church. And when Todd's excited about something, everybody should be excited about it. That's how he feels about it, you know. And he was walking around say, just inviting everybody to come to church. And uh, I said, yeah, all right, I'll come to church. And then Mike was there, and I said, hey, Mike, and, you know, what's, tell me about your church. And I was like, yeah, yeah, it sounds good. I'll be there. So I got to go to the very first Sunday, mm-hmm. the very first Sunday in the factory. And it was, a big, it was a big service because it was their first Sunday, so they'd been hyping it up. So there was probably like 20, 25 people there, you know. <laughs> and it got smaller again before it got bigger. But uh, I, I knew right from the beginning that I was in. You know, Mike was playing the guitar, and, and uh, Gary Selbert was playing the guitar, and Lance Calvert was on that box, which I still don't quite understand how that works. But uh, he was playing the drum on this that looked like a milk crate. And, and then Mike got up and, and was teaching, um, I guess he would have been teaching Luke at the time and he just took a chapter right out of Luke and went right through it and it put me at ease because it wasn't Mike's philosophy on this or some weirdo doctrine that uh that you know he wanted to expound upon he was just reading and 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 explaining a chapter of the Bible and uh and I I loved it I knew, I knew right from the beginning that was going to be for me and so how has that affected your family well at first um I would say negatively my wife had been, uh, and she likes Marcella too, so she's not just, okay. she won't, she'll, she'll answer to Marcella. <laughs> she uh, had been kind of the spiritual leader of our home at that point. I, I didn't like to go to church. It had been years since I'd been involved in a church. Um, she would try to drag me here and there, and, and I wasn't that interested. So I'd sleep in. Most of the time she'd go by herself. But this one, uh, like I said, I, I went and I'm like, this is it. And so, you know, typically, you know, I would, you know, bulldoze a little bit and I said oh no this is the one for us and I'm sure she felt like where are you where you know Johnny come lately here is going to tell us where we're going to go to mm-hmm. church you know what I mean so I think she was a little maybe put off by that and and uh and I had so much untwisting to do in my life so much of my uh relationships needed to have a, a reboot and there was so much repenting that I needed to do and and so and, and I guess probably most importantly you know, we're, we're called to daily pick up our cross and follow Christ, right? And that means, you know, another way of thinking about it is pick up your electric chair and follow me. This is death to yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Put yourself, put your flesh to death and, and, and sacrifice yourself, which, you know, it's reasonable in light of what Christ has done for us and follow him. And so I'm having this big war going on internally. I'm trying to um, put all of these things that have been so important to me for so long to death mm-hmm. and follow Christ. And so that's a, you know, pretty tense time for someone. And so I would say early on for my family, it was probably pretty confusing. You know, where's this been and why, why is this, you know, so important all of a sudden? And, and, uh, but I think now, well, I know now it's, uh, it's so wonderful and liberating just to know that my whole family's trajectory has changed and that my, my family have security in Jesus Christ uh, my kids are sealed for heaven, you know, and I mean, just the understanding what that, uh, what that really means is, is, um, well, it's, it's so humbling and so, uh, incredible. So that first season, I mean, I think a lot of folks think I'm going to, I'm going to give my life to Christ and it's just going to be smooth sailing. For me, it probably got real rocky 
for a year or so. And then it really, it really uh, uh, changed for the good. So you talked about Marcy there. How did you guys meet? Yeah, so we met in high school. Um, she's a year older than I am. We both grew up in Bonterre, so we knew each other, or been around each other uh, for all our lives, but we didn't um, spend a lot of time together. But uh, it wasn't until high school that we started dating. Um, she, uh, I, she said she thought that I was cute, but I don't believe that's necessarily <laughs> the, the truth. I think she thought I was tall. Um, she's pretty tall, and I think she wanted to go out with a boy who was taller than her. And so she spotted, I, I, you know, there was probably about 20 of us that were taller than her. So one of the 20. And so uh, she found um, a girl, I won't say her name, but she was kind of a well-known gossip in our high school and told uh, this person that um, she thought I was pretty cute. And knowing that that would get back to me (laughs) so that I would ask her out so she wouldn't have to ask me out. But if you think about it, she really asked me out. Yeah. 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 It was just a middleman, you know. So I, it couldn't have been the, the flowing mullet. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think that was it. I'm not sure exactly other than I was taller than her that, that really uh, caught her eye. But So we started dating my junior year, her senior year. And um, we dated um, for years, uh, even while I was in the military. And, and then we got married in um, 1995. And so we've been married for 27, going to be 28 years this year, which is shocking to me when I think about how <laughs> long that is. So what's marriage been like for you, not having a real relationship with Jesus, being in the military, mm-hmm. then coming to know Christ? Like you said, it was rocky for a couple yeah. years. How has that life of marriage been for you and Marcy, and having her you know, along with you? Yeah. I think in a lot of ways, marriage was good before and after Jesus. Um, I loved being married to my wife before I, I gave my life to Christ in a meaningful way. We, we cared for each other. We had a lot of things in common, really enjoyed care, you know, just traveling and, and, uh, and, you know, reaching, you know, talking about our dreams and trying to go after them. So, so it was, it was good before, uh, and after Christ. Uh, now I think everything's quite a bit more meaningful and deeper, right? So a lot of the things that we we felt like we were super important early on have kind of faded away a bit and we're focused more on things that we like, we like to believe have eternal value uh, and are more significant. So, um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, raising kids uh, brings a whole new dimension to your marriage. I guess, I guess your, your thought would be, gosh, it wasn't great before, but it was. It was, it was, still, it was still wonderful to be married to Marcella, but it was much deeper and richer now uh, that we have uh, Christ in common. So you mentioned that you served our country for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why don't you share with us a little bit about how, uh, what that experience was, what branch, and mm-hmm. uh, some of your travels and what you, what you did. What did that look like for yeah. Dave Williams? Well, I come from a long line of, of men who served in the military. My grandfather and my dad both did, and uh, I always was very patriotic and I, I felt like that would be something that I would be interested in doing. I didn't think it through uh, real deeply. It wasn't like, oh, it's got to be this branch or, or what that was going to look like ahead of time. So I was very into my military career before I realized all of the ramifications of that decision. So I, I was in uh, Florida for 
my boot camp and my training a couple different places in Florida. And then I, I moved to an island uh, out in the Aleutians in Alaska called Adak, a very remote uh, island. I lived there for a year or so, uh, moved to San Diego for a few years, and then ended up in Virginia Beach, Virginia uh, for my final kind of stint. The last three and a half, four years, uh, well, I guess three and a half years or so, I was attached to a, an F-14 squadron. Uh, that was attached to the USS Nimitz, which is an aircraft carrier. And so, you know, it seemed like every other month or so I would be state, I'd be, you know, deployed on the ship and we would either be doing training, what we called workups, or we'd be heading, you know, to the other side of the world for deployment. So I went on a lot of deployments. The job that I had was um, a reconnaissance photographer. And so there wasn't a lot of us. And, and so they would constantly kind of uh, be pulling us into whatever tension happened to be going on at the time. So we spent a lot of time in, in the Persian Gulf. Or, uh, you know, China and Taiwan were, were frustrated with each other, so they'd park, park our boat in the middle of that or something, you know. So we were, we were gone quite a bit. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, of, the, of the five years that I was in, about two and a half of them were actually on a boat at sea. What what does a re- reconnaissance photographer do? Yeah, so uh, ultimately we're trying to make sure that we've got good photographic images of of troop movements and different uh, different uh, whether it's airborne uh, or, or seaborne or landborne facilities. We wanted to make sure that we knew every, where everything was at, including like surface air missiles and things like that. So the primary focus of my group was to use a what we call the TARPS pod, a tactical aerial reconnaissance pod uh, on, on a, the belly of an F-14. F-14's the, the fighter jet that was in Top Gun. So it was, uh, that was the, the system that we would use to, to fly over all these just in er- different areas and, and take pictures of the different facilities. So uh, then we would, when they would get back to the boat, we would uh, take all of the camera equipment apart and pull the film out and get it developed and then get it over to the the intelligence specialist to kind of parse through and find out, you know, what, what our folks could expect if they, if they were going to be around Iraq, Iran, so, you know, places like that. So how has that being in the Navy affected your, your job today? Kind of what you do today? Did that help you get into your position? What you do? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No. Uh, nice. <laughs> sorry for the, <laughs> crash to your segue there but uh no um i think the military from my perspective i'm really proud of my service mm-hmm. i'm glad that i did it um it's a good place to be from it wasn't necessarily a good place to be for me uh so when i think back about my time uh it was a pretty dark time for me i wasn't surrounded by anybody that uh, uh was interested in christ um got you know just when you're in the Navy, uh, at least uh, when I was in the Navy, it was a, a, a big party scene, and, and we just traveled around all over the world, getting thrown out of bars and, and carousing. And, and so it, it was, it's not something I look back on uh, real fondly. Again, proud of my service, uh, proud that, uh, and, and, and blessed to know a couple of the guys that I've still stayed in touch with, that you know, they're like brothers, they're like family, I guess. Uh, but none of those guys know Christ. And so in, in a way, I look back as kind of a wasted opportunity. Hmm. So what do you do now? I work at a company called Spire. It used to be uh, Laclede Gas, uh, but we changed our name and we bought a few other companies uh, um, throughout the country in Alabama and Mississippi. And we've got some work in Wyoming and Texas. And I'm a, a, a business leader there at Spire. I've got 
uh, all of the large construction crews for the former Laclede territory. So my guys are the ones that are putting the big pipeline mains and services in the ground. Uh, um, we've got welders and equipment operators and truck drivers and, and uh, um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I kind of started in that group years and years ago as a construction laborer, and it's kind of neat to be full circle to get to lead that team now. But uh, had a lot of different jobs at the company over the years. I ran customer experience, call centers, uh, billing, credit and collections. But uh, just to come back to operations where I started has really been kind of a neat full circle mo- moment for me. So it's a really large team, and it's a, a neat opportunity to, um, I guess, serve. Uh, that's my style of leadership, servant leadership. I just get a chance to serve uh, my team and, and be there for them in our successes and our failures, and that's really rewarding. Are there any, like, fun excursions or things that you do with, like, your team or just as as the job might have some perks or anything? Yeah, the job's got lots of perks. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so just um, to get to the point where you have a lot of autonomy over what your day looks like. So... Um, I get to travel some. I used to travel quite a bit with my other role, so I don't have to travel quite as often now. But to be able to uh, head down to Alabama and share kind of best practices with one of my peers, or uh, we recently, in fact, this hasn't even been announced yet, we recently had a crew that uh, uh, saved this family's life from a burning building. So they won this award, and I'm going to take them down to uh, New Orleans here in a couple weeks and uh, let them accept this award and, and spend time with them. So a lot of team building, uh, um, I get to meet with my, my senior staff um, every week, and, and we try to visit and share things that are meaningful to us, not just the, the business aspect of what we do, but uh, what's going on in our personal lives and get to take them out to lunch. That's probably my best thing as a leader. I, I feed people quite a bit. so, so you, People like you because oh, yeah. you, you give them food. Yeah. yeah. When it's going really bad, I add appetizers and desserts <laughs> to that. But uh, So, yeah. So it's almost just like undercover discipleship in a way, just sharing life with them and, you know. Yeah. Well, early on, uh, well, I won't say early on, but uh, uh, when God got a hold of me back in 07, 08, and, and 06, 07, 08, and, and really uh, turned my whole approach on its head, right? I, anything that I was going after from a success standpoint kind of started looking different, and I really, and I know you read a book that was something that I read years ago, understanding the difference between the secular part of our lives and the mm-hmm. sacred part of our lives. I didn't want to have a big divide in my life between those two things. What I didn't want to do is spend, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week thinking about my profession. And that was the, the secular side of my life and, you know, have Jesus turned off. And then on the drive home or whatever, uh, turn Jesus on and start thinking about the sacred side. And so I just decided um, kind of early on that I wanted to, you know, be a minister of God in every aspect of my life. And I saw leadership as a great avenue to do that. So I'm not super overt, proselytizing my whole team, you know, uh, but I, I make it known this is who I am, this is what I'm about. If you ever want to talk, if you ever want someone to pray for you, I'm available to you. And then I just try to live a life that's godly and and model that for folks. So, uh, again, that servant model that I think uh, just kind of comes from Jesus' style of leadership, I try to model that as best I can. And what I've found is if you weather a storm that really is stressing other folks out and you have a little bit of peace in that, and, and peace that we can only have knowing Christ, 
that that's attractive and people want to know more about it. And so um, I really, you know, I've had, I've had Bible studies at work and things like that, but I think the most effective process or mechanism that I've had uh, as a leader has just been try to honor God with my life and, and uh, serve others and, 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 you know, humility and, and, uh, and grace and, and, and just try to make that a ministry and not try to make that a, a separate, you know, dichotomy between, in my life where the secular and the sacred is very, very distinct. I do want to come back to uh, Parkland Chapel. Yeah. What, what exactly is your role here? Yeah, so I, I've got a lot of different roles uh, here at Parkland Chapel. I get to uh, help with the, the youth. I'm one of the youth leaders. Um, I'm a, an elder at the church. I'm on the board of directors. But I've had all sorts of different roles over the, over the years. I, I was uh, a janitor. I, was the, uh, I worked with the children's church. I was a ushers and greeters leader. I've had a, I've had a lot of different roles at the church, but uh, currently, right now, it's it's mainly youth leader, elder, and and uh, board one of the board of directors. So you you know the ins and outs of Parkland Chapel, the DNA of it probably more, or you know it better than the average person going here. So if we talk about our DNA here, yeah. what does that mean? How do you describe that to people to understand what Parkland Chapel is really about and that we're not a cult, you yeah. know, or in or just some <laughs> facet of Christianity? What yeah. makes Parkland Chapel unique? Well, and I think you've you kind of touched on it. We are unique in our area. We're not y- unique in the Christian body. Uh, one of my favorite things to do when I travel, and travel is one of my favorite things to do, but when I do travel, uh, one of my favorite things to do is visit other Calvary chapels. And not all of them, but most of them feel very similar to what we do here. So um, we're, in my mind, uniquely balanced in that um, we have a great love and affinity for the Word of God, and so we study the Word of God in a very measured way. Uh, we want to we want to go verse by verse through the entire Bible. It takes an entire Bible to create a create an entire Christian, mm-hmm. and uh, so we we go through the Bible verse by verse, but we do it in context, and, and we make sure that uh, we understand what it was trying to say in its setting when it was written, and we use the Bible to be the you know a commentary on itself. So we're not taking wildfires on different uh, philo- philosophical uh, arguments or, or, or trying to squeeze a doctrine out of something that's not really there. So we really uh, take a, a, a good approach with the Bible, and we hold that in high regard. At the same time, we're really open to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that, to me, is a, is a cool balance that you don't see in any of the churches in our area. I'm pretty biased. Um, there's wonderful churches in our area. Uh, I grew up in a, in a great church. But for me, I think this is this is kind of where it's at, and and I think we have a special place in our community, and it's it's exciting to see it grow, and it's exciting to, um, you know, watch what teaching the Bible, you know, simply teaching the Bible simply. That's kind of the way we think about it. How that has really changed and transformed a lot of lives. So, as far as the what's the DNA uh, of of our church, I think it's that it's. Um, People without pretense, uh, without a lot of uh, a facade. There's not a lot of uh, religiosity going on around here. It's just uh, genuine, authentic people trying to understand what God put out for us in His Word, and then trying to live 
uh, like the church, as close as we can to the book of Acts, that first church, uh, we want to we want to model ourselves after that. And so um, to me, that's kind of the, our, our DNA. And so you said you were on the board, you're an elder here, which hearing your pre-Jesus story, I'm guessing to you, that's like, never would have thought, yeah. right? How does the structure of government here at Parkland Chapel work? And how is that different from a Baptist structure or a Methodist structure? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, you're right. Uh, I could never have imagined myself being on a, a, being an elder or a board member at a church. Uh, in fact, when you're, you know, this isn't my hometown, but I'm really close to the, my, where I grew up. And a lot of the, 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 the folks that I went to high school with are here, which is great because I, it's like a high, mini high school reunion every, every time I come in. But it's also a little embarrassing because they knew who I was at the time. They know what I was about and, 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 um, I could have easily been voted least likely to be on the board at a church at the, in high school. So um, I don't have, you know, there's no, it's, it can be a little uh, embarrassing or it can be liberating and freeing just to um, know that I don't have to put on a show. Uh, Julie Pierman, Amy Turner, Chris Williams, Donnie Crump, those people, they really know who I was and uh, they know I'm not fooling anybody. So uh, only God uh, can make something like that happen. And so that's a blessing. As far as, what we do uh, here at our church that might be a little bit different than uh, maybe some of the other churches is we try to keep it pretty small, the church government. Church government and just the politics of a church has burned a lot of folks over the years, and so we really try to keep it pretty small, um, pretty agile and nimble, uh, being able to respond to needs as they arise. If we wanted to uh, uh, try to help out a community member, whatever. We don't need to wait until next month's Wednesday night business meeting so everybody can vote yes or no on whether or not we're going to uh, put new tires on a car for someone, you know, or, or buy a copying machine or whatever. So we try to keep it pretty small. Uh, the board and I meet once a week and we discuss, you know, first of all, we just check on each other, which is nice. Uh, we're praying for each other all the time. And then we pray for the church and we uh, we talk about the business needs of the church, whether it's financial or, or you know, it, even talk about facilities and things like that. But we also talk about uh, uh, the people that we're, we're working with, the people who have needs or whatever. And so we spend um, a, a little time every week doing that. Then we meet quarterly for our formal board meetings. And um, again, it's, it's, uh, it's really small. It's, uh, right now it's, you know, Mike Harrison is the, is the, kind of the CEO of the church, and John Bacon and I are the other board members. And then we have adjunct members, Todd McKinney and Eric Schweiss are in there as well. So that's kind of our, it's a small group. You know, we, we make ourselves very available to anybody in the church that wants to talk about the church business. Uh, we can be very transparent with how, you know, one of the things I was concerned about uh, early on is how do we know that uh, the ties that are given are being used in the right way? So we can, you know, show people reports if they want to see them, but but we do keep it very intentionally small so that it can be, you know, spirit led and uh, where God guides us, we can move quickly. And, and uh, so that's, that's a little different than the church that I grew up in with the Wednesday night business meetings and, <laughs> and people that haven't been to church in three months coming in to vote on something, you know, that was, that was very different. Yeah. Because people I think tend to overlook the business side of a church and it's not, it's necessary to have the emphasis for the business side, but if you don't start with a foundational, spiritual, going through the yeah. Word, being led by the Spirit, then yeah. you know you can have an overemphasis on that and then lose out on structure, how to get to 
having a new sanctuary building or a tent or whatever that might be. Yeah. It may take you know months for something to get done if you don't have that good structure, which is something I found very attractive here that there is organization mm-hmm. and you need that in a body. I did love what Skip, he said, you know, without organization in the body, then it uh-huh. just is just goop. You know, you don't get anywhere. And I think it yeah, is important. One big amoeba wouldn't be good, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it, it is. I think that does make us unique, especially here in the Parkland area. So you said you never saw yourself being on the board or an elder. What gave you the push to do that? Was there, you know, some, oh, man, I've got to do this now, yeah. Holy Spirit moment, or was it just practically, you know, this is a need of the church. I, I can do it. Yeah. Well, uh, kind of early on, uh, there just wasn't very many of us. And so when Mike was transitioning from, you know, Gary Lawton and Ray Bentley being our board, that's a pretty uh, pretty fantastic board for any <laughs> right. church, by the way. Um, but when he was transitioning uh, to having local folks be on his board, there just weren't a lot of us. And so <laughs> Mike's options were pretty limited. I, I went, you know, back to school to get a business degree and a, you know, master's degree in business. But, but, but at the time, I didn't have either of those things. I went to school to be a school teacher originally, and and uh, so he was pretty limited on who he could choose from, and uh, there was just a need. Uh, and it, it turns out that being on the board at this church feels a lot like my calling, hmm. but at the time it was more of a, just a necessity. We needed that, uh, and and like I said, I've done a lot of different things at the church, including, you know, children's church and being a janitor and being an usher and a greeter and all those things. I can't think of any of those that was this real big, you know, warm, fuzzy feeling like, oh, boy, I really want to go work with the the six-year-olds, you know what I mean? Or uh, uh, I'd love to stand out front and hand people coffee and greet them. You know, that, that they weren't necessarily things that I really felt called to at the time. But when I went ahead and was obedient because there was a need there and, and I was just obedient to go do some of those tasks, I kind of fell in love with them. And so I fell in love with being in children's church, and there was fruit from that. I fell in love with caring for folks and welcoming them to the church and, and uh, even some satisfaction and caring for God's facility, being a janitor or whatever. And, and the board was kind of like that. There was a need. It was something that I, I felt like I could help with, and Mike trusted me. And then I grew into it, and now it's it's very obviously my calling. I feel I feel like it's God's uh, will for me to be be here and doing this. And and I think it's you know there's a time in your life, uh, hopefully for everybody, where you realize that it's you know money's not the goal and status isn't the goal, but you want to spend time doing something significant and worthwhile and something that would have eternal value. And for me, Parkland Chapel has kind of become my life's work. It's the thing I'm passionate about. I love it, and I love uh, what it's meant to me and my family and my life, but uh, what it means to others and their families and their lives, and uh, to be able to uh, give in that way, and well, it's, it's really humbling. It's, uh, it's not something I deserved or was qualified for when I started. Um, probably still not qualified for, actually, but uh, um, God's been so gracious to allow me to do this and be a steward this way, and I don't know. It's it's an honor, and uh, and I, I just would recommend or or you know ask folks, hey, don't wait until you feel like, oh boy, I really just am dying to help with the nursery, or I'd love to help park cars or whatever. Just get involved. Find out where there's a need, 
and and serve. Uh, you'll you'll be blessed by it more than you even imagine. And these don't have to be lifetime commitments. You know, go go help with uh, get to know the Woodsons and help with Children's Church or. Or go see Donnie Crump if you're a guy that likes to protect people and be on the security team. Uh, you know you'll be you'll be blessed by serving, and it really um, expands and and improves your walk when you when you're serving that way. Mm-hmm. Service in the church is huge. It's not just serving unbelievers, but also just serving the body, like you're saying. Well, the model's upside down in Christ. You know, uh, if you want to be promoted, you know, you, you humble yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and you serve others and, and the least in the kingdom is the greatest in, in heaven, you know? And so, um, Deacon is a great example of that. Deacon is a, is a title that we, you know, hold with high esteem in church and Deacon really just means table waiter. Right. It's just someone that's going to go care for people and make them feel welcome and, and let them get plugged in and help them get fed, literally fed, uh, or, or uh, metaphorically fed, depending on uh, the situation, but uh, to make paths, uh, just create lanes of service. The practical is super important. And so uh, I think when you kind of flip the switch and you stop going to church just to be fed, what's in it for me? I like the worship. Or I don't like the worship. I mm-hmm. like his style of teaching or I don't or whatever. And then you and you realize that I'm going to church, even when I don't feel like going to church, I'm going to church so that I can help others. I can be a blessing. I can be of service. Sometimes um, the best we can do is just show up, and right. that's our obedience. You know, I don't feel it today. I'm not in a good mood. I, I acted out yesterday, and I don't feel like I'm worthy to go to church or whatever, but just to be there and and uh, and smile at someone or, or shake a hand right. or, or, or give them a hug and and, uh, and just be present, that's encouraging to others. And, and that's the reason a lot of times that I serve is not because – gosh, I really want to go um, wait tables or, or anything. It's really, I want to be obedient. And I know that whenever I'm there and I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me, there can be fruit. Yeah. But if I don't show up, you know, that's my piece. Uh, mm-hmm. God does it all, but we got to show up. You know, right. we got to actually go, uh, you know, Mike always kind of uses that farmer metaphor that Paul uses well, but just plow straight rows. Just get out there in the morning, start plowing, and let God give the increase. And that's what we can do as, as folks that once we realize it's not really about what we're going to get at church, it's what it's allowing God to use us at church. That's, that's when it really starts to take place. And then it gets outside the walls. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, right. like I said, that secular and sacred boundary that we talked about earlier, uh, it doesn't have to end at the, at the front doors of the church. It mm-hmm. goes on with us uh, throughout our lives. Right. Yeah. And we, we have great people that serve here too. I mean, yeah, we're increasing in numbers almost daily yeah. now, which is which is awesome and great as God measures great. Right, right. right. So that's the that's the key. I mean, boy, I care deeply about more people coming to church. That's awesome. That's a great sign. I, I always use the metaphor of like a a dashboard on my car. Right. So when I see um, more people showing up, that's a really good sign. Healthy sheep reproduce. Right. So that's a good that's a good uh, barometer on how things are going with our flock. Um, and then when I see, you know, you know, we don't pass the, a tithe plate around, you know, we just got some boxes on the side of the wall that you have to ask someone, if you wanted to give money at this church, how would you go about doing that? You know, so it's not something that we're, we're trying to, you know, drive a big project so we can get more money so we can build Mm -hmm. more buildings, but God has been providing, uh, and, and we've been able to expand our facility. So that's great. You know, that's, that's good too. But 
I, we don't want to be, you know, three miles wide and, and seven inches deep. We want to be a, right. a really healthy uh, body and, and, and grow spiritually. And I feel like our church is kind of uniquely positioned to do that. I think we, we do get folks that come in. Uh, I listened to Kyle Cox's uh, podcast uh, um, earlier this week, and, and uh, he didn't have this deep religious background, and he's turned into one of the most admirable Christian men that I've ever known, and I just admire him and, and respect him. But most of the time, the stories here at Parkland Chapel are folks that were already churched, and they wanted to, they wanted to go deeper. They wanted to understand... Uh, really well what God had for them and what the Bible really said about their lives and what it, what it meant in context. And then what are the applications that they can, you know, take away from that. And so I think our church is deeply or, or, or uniquely, um, positioned to take folks at, at, from good to great, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's what I'm most excited about. So the, the other things that kind of the periphery or ancillary things like is the, the grounds getting better or the facilities getting built? That's wonderful. The more people showing up, that's really good too. But, but the fact that people, their lives are transformed, that's the, that's what I'm most excited about. And so if that can happen on a bigger and bigger scale, well, I'm all in, you know, right. that's, that's, that's exciting. But, uh, but we, we just don't want to get out in front of Christ. If he wants to prune something back, which he's done here at our church many times, there was some successful ministries that Mike uh, got a, guidance from God, like, hey, we got to stop this. This group is starting to outpace that group, and we've got to bring the whole team along. And and uh, we've pruned things over the years, and at the time, it hurts. You're like, well, this is nuts. Why are, we, why are we stopping this successful thing? But it was because God was giving us some insight. We need to bring the whole team along, and, and uh, that could happen again. Uh, and we, we've got to be okay with that. So um, we just happen to be in a really fun season right now. So it's fun to watch. I mean, since we built the new sanctuary, I think, uh, I think we've probably grown by 25%. Mm-hmm. So pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. And that's the thing too. You don't want to miss what we're about to be a part of, yeah. you know, I've only been here for t- almost two years now, which is incredible, but the, the changes that's happened in two years, oh, yeah. I mean, what's going to happen in five, 10, I mean, it's, it's going to be something like we will never be able to imagine yeah. You know, just, I mean, just like God's word, obviously, but I mean, if, if you're looking for a church or if you're already in our church and want to be a part of it more and want to see it grow, yeah. you don't want to miss an opportunity. And, and maybe that starts like, it's like Stephen holding babies. I mean, he yeah. was serving widows. You may not want to hold a baby, but I mean, that could help other people get in. Yeah. That could help who knows, come to church and maybe another, we get another teacher too. I don't know. It, you know, it's just it's just something that I think is great here. I mean, we're on the the brink of something, yeah, ginormous. Well, I think that's uh, a really important point. I am so blessed that I got to be here uh, from almost the very beginning. And don't get me wrong, there was times of like, ugh, too bad I couldn't have started like two months ago and <laughs> got to say I was here from the very beginning in the basement. You know, but right. uh, so starting out on the very first Sunday, I, I'm I'm thrilled that I was able to be a part of it from the from the very beginning, and I've got to watch the church grow. And all the different iterations, uh, you know, we've had to we've had to change our facilities like 15 times over the years because it's grown and grown and grown. And and there's times when it would plateau and 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 stay flat for a year or two, and then you know major setbacks. Mike's health uh, was poor there for a while, and he had to go away uh, while they were trying to figure out his eye. And 
you know, just is this even going to work? And then it would come back and it would, it would just continue to grow. And so just being able to see it grow and in some ways uh, almost expo- exponentially a, a couple of times this thing, you know, when you start small enough, you can, ex- you can have exponential growth, right? To see it, to see it grow has been very exciting. But I, I had someone come up to me, I guess it was last fall, and he was kind of the same way I was. Uh, he, he'd only been here for a couple of years, but he was like, oh, I wish I could have been here from the beginning. And kind of the way I felt about, I wish I could have been in the basement, right? Uh, and, and it struck me, I was like, oh, I, I think you are. I think you're right at the beginning. So this has all been kind of foundational stuff. We've been very careful not to try to do anything awkward uh, or anything outside of kind of our core of what we want to be, just to teach the Bible simply, to take communion, to, to be in prayer and be in fellowship. That's, you know, we conduct church the exact same way we did in 06 right now. And so we've been very careful to stay true to kind of what we are and who we are and what's unique about us. But this whole time has just been kind of creating a foundation, digging the basement, getting it ready to build something on or let God build something, I should say. And I think that's getting ready to happen. Mm-hmm. And so this doesn't feel like we're here. This feels like, you know, buckle up, we're getting ready to go. And I think God is up to something. And the fact that we grew so quickly during the pandemic I think was kind of an eye opener for me because I was, I was kind of the batten down the hatches guy on the board. I'm like, okay, we put this money off the side for emergencies. <laughs> this is an emergency. <laughs> Things are going to get tight. You know, what can we do to tighten our belt? And God uh, totally embarrassed me because he was like, okay, he just opened up the opened up the heavens and let it pour out. You know, mm-hmm. and so our church has grown in every way since then, and I think we're just really poised to take off and that's going to be exciting so yeah don't miss this if you're here now or if you're thinking about coming this would be a great time to get here because it's right at the right at the the starting line Hmm. what's the board's god-sized dream for parkland chapel or well, what, like you said, I think something's big happening. Yeah. What, is there talks of something like, or what do you envision that to be? One of the things that we did early on as a leadership team is we went to California with Mike and we toured a lot of the different Calvary chapels. The one that, you know, he grew up in, um, as a Christian, as, as a leader, he, he was on staff at Maranatha there in San Diego under, uh, the tutelage of Ray Bentley and Gary Lawton and those guys. And uh, so we got to spend time there. Uh, one of his mentors, Dan Gordon's church, which is a little smaller startup, which was uh, bigger in, in scale, but uh, similar in scope, I guess, uh, for what we were trying to do here. And then we went to, call it the mothership. We went to Chuck Smith's uh, church in Costa Mesa. These are humongous churches. And um, the big takeaway for me was they were doing it exactly the same way that we were. They had very skilled people in every possible role. It was very professionally done, but everything was done to be um, done in such a way that it didn't draw any attention to itself. And so trying to keep things very simple and discreet and allow people to put their eyes on Christ. And so that put me at ease that we were doing it the right way and then to see what can be accomplished when you just allow the Holy Spirit to run with it. And 
and to see how big those churches could be and how they could still feel intimate and you could have a small community in a large church. And so that was kind of the vision that Mike set early on was like he wasn't going to be satisfied with becoming a, a reasonable sized church and, and, and somebody, a church that could have a little bit of uh, impact on our community. He really wanted to let God do exactly what he wanted to do in the parkland and not to limit that in any way. And so our vision has always been a little grandiose for our area. Um, and so not what the building's going to look like, not necessarily what ministries we would have, but um, that people would come to know the Lord and grow deeply in a relationship with Jesus uh, because of what he was doing here. And so I think that means bigger church, but it also uh, with an eye on how do we keep it intimate enough where you know you're a part of a community. So that's kind of a, I guess that's a little bit of an overall vision. Personally, the thing I feel like I'm called for, uh, called to is make sure that we're doing a really good job of handing this church off. So um, the churches that I've been involved in, there's some really old people that are in charge, you know, they're the deacons and the elders and they just hang on to the very last and um, the congregation begins to look just like the leaders. And then when those leaders kind of pass off the scene, the church dies. And uh, we don't want that. We want to make sure that we're preparing people to take over and that once we pass the baton, we stay on and support and give them the, the, what they need but get out of the way. And uh, that's something that we've been praying about for years. Uh, one of the things I'm excited about talking with you guys is We've been praying for you guys for years, even before we knew who you were going to be, you know. And uh, so that's what I'm excited about is how do we do this in such a way that it's skillfully handed to the next generation and that this this thing, you know, unless Christ comes back, uh, and man, I hope he comes back before this interview is over, but if he doesn't, <laughs> that we do a good job of, of preparing the church for that next leader or leaders, and, and, uh, and then we support them and make sure that... Uh, They've got the foundation. They need to be successful. Random question. Random question. Random questions? Random questions. Oh, yeah. oh, this is the potato thing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> we would never ask that question. You guys are potato crazy. But, no. Okay. Is that the first one? I was going to switch it up on you. All right. I knew you were expecting it. I can handle a potato question. I'm ready for that. <laughs> Do you and Marcy have a song? Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Pizza Hut in Deloge. It's not in the same location now that it was when we were dating, but we were, uh, we'd go to Pizza Hut when we could afford it, right? So it was like you needed like 9 or $10, and I barely ever had that much. But if we did... <laughs> We could go get a personal pan pizza and split it, and we there was a jukebox there, and we thought that this uh, song, it was a '50s song called Shaboom. I can't Shaboom. remember Shaboom. I can't remember who sings it, but we thought it was hysterical, and so we would play Shaboom on the jukebox. So that was kind of our song, I guess. It's not a particularly romantic song or anything, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily sound like it either. No, Shaboom. It, yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm not even gonna pretend to sing it to you. <laughs> Dang it, no chance. But if you if you wanted to check out Shaboom, it's a 1950 song that would uh, 
That would be playing at the Pizza Hut in Deloge in 1990. <laughs> Maybe someone might remember that. 1990. You might have just triggered a core memory. Yeah. All right. Uh, if you had any talent, what would it be? Or if you could have any talent that you don't have, yeah. what would it be? Most of the talents I don't have, so <laughs> that'll be easy. I think um, I'd like to um, be able to sing well. Would you want to sing in like a choir or like be your own solo artist or opera? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a... Um, <laughs> I'm a guy that uh, would probably, if I had that talent, try to you know market it in some way. Uh, I hate to say that, I, but but what I would hope that I would do is just uh, feel more comfortable to worship at church. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I I let it rip now, but I usually try to get up front so that I'm not wiping out the guy behind me because I've had that before. That, uh, and so I wanted to make sure that uh, I'm not hindering someone else from worshiping. So I love to sing in church. Uh, but I just, I, I'm always worried about what that's doing to my neighbors. Oh, it's okay. I realize whenever I really get into worship, I just, and it's loud. Yeah. I'm just screaming the. Yeah, I, that's what I do. The lyrics. I'm like, no one can hear me. At least I think that no one can hear I'm me. I'm positive people can hear me. And I feel bad about it, but I, I don't have, I don't have any gift. Hey, uh, that that forces the good people to sing louder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's right. And so I, I I do love I do love to worship and and I don't always kind of worship in the spirit the way that I I, I want to. Uh, sometimes there's too much me going on, you know, but, uh, ever so often, maybe every, maybe one song every Sunday, or maybe it's not even every Sunday, but, uh, when I'm worshiping in spirit and truth and the Holy Spirit really, uh, in it, um, I just get carried away and I, and I, and captivated by mm-hmm. it. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, I wish I could be in that place more. So, but I, I think being able to sing well would, would make that easier for me. I would be less embarrassed. Where's the most memorable memorable place you've been, like landscape wise? Oh, so um, travel is a big passion of mine, and so I've traveled all over by myself or with the military, with my family. Um, so probably a lot of different answers with my entire family. Probably some kind of beach setting, you know, Kauai or Maui or something like that. Um, with my wife, we had a, a couple places in Europe that we were just crazy about, London and Paris and places like that, but. Uh, personally just traveling by myself oh i take it back yosemite mm. yosemite is one of my very favorites that's mm. amazing cnl capitan and the and the the big sequoias and stuff got to take my whole family to that but singapore was probably my favorite uh, location just uh, by myself singapore is a pretty cool spot yeah, especially when you're Kyle Cox and open for Bon Jovi. That's right. <laughs> I was not there with Bon Jovi. I was there with <laughs> I was there with six thousand sailors and, and oh, uh, descending upon Singapore. But uh, I mm. loved Singapore. But yeah, I wasn't there with Bon Jovi. How much food can you put down? Yeah, I'm a I'm a, I'm probably past my prime now. You know, but there was a time where that might be my 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 best talent is uh, a prodigious eater you know my wife uh she's probably turning this thing off right now as, as we're talking about this she always like now look you don't have to show off today you know just have, <laughs> have like a regular amount of pizza you don't need to break the chicken wing record today you know just relax this isn't a this isn't a competition but um no i'm i'm uh, i'm gifted so so then what is your favorite way a potato is made all right, so I was ready for that, and and I like I like potatoes in every uh, way that you can fix them. But my favorite is probably the way that some of the ladies at our church make those cheesy potatoes, the hash brown casserole. Oh yes, thing. yeah, I can I can make myself ill on that. So, 
Well, Dave, I think that's all we have for you. Thanks for, uh, you know, coming in, sparing an hour, and it looks like uh, 15 minutes of your time. Wow. Uh, But it's awesome to just hear more about the church and give our listeners uh, a deeper understanding of that, which we can't exactly give them, you know, you being on the board, and we're just just the staff members. So, you know, you make make some decisions for us, but then... um, you know, and, and make decisions for a lot of the church. And it's cool to be able to, uh, for anyone listening, to be able to understand a little bit more. Like, mm-hmm. this is why we do what we do. This is what makes us us. And then to know you personally a little bit a little bit better. Is, it makes you more relatable as not someone who's, like, on a board. I'm like, huh, I'm up <laughs> here. <laughs> but it's just like, hey, I'm just one of you. And I just so happen to be the one to, you know, be chosen for this. And, and you know, it, mm-hmm. You know, to hear how your life has changed and, and how you lead now is so different than what, what could have been. Very so, different. you know, we praise we praise God for that, and mm-hmm. I think we can all say that, <laughs> actually. But um, with that... Did we do it? We did it. That's it. Sweet. Sweet.